You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. In November, it was officially announced that Taiwan had been chosen to host World Pride 2025. The Kaohsiung Pride team won the bid over Washington, D.C. to host the event. My guest on this episode is Darian Chen, the founder of World Pride Taiwan 2025. World Pride 2025 will be the first time that a World Pride will be held in East Asia. And this is exciting news indeed. In fact, Amazon Lite, one of the first Asian ambassadors for World Pride at Copenhagen in 2021, reached out to me not that long after hearing the announcement. So we invited her to join us in this episode. And then things got pretty lively. You and World Pride. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I just, yeah, I think I'm actually toned down, trust me. I try not to quit, yeah, jokes on What? No, you shouldn't tone it down. Darian was previously on an episode of Talking Taiwan, talking about how he organized the Taiwan Pride Parade for the world in June of last year, when Taiwan was one of the safest places to be during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the podcast, Darian. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so congratulations to you and your team on securing the bid for Kaohsiung, Taiwan to host the World Pride 2025. Thank you. Um, I do want to take this occasion really to thank everyone before us who fight for women's rights, racial equality, and gender equality. Without them and whatever uh, our Taiwanese have been doing to keep our society, our nation safe, liberal, and embracing that really makes it possible. And I'm curious to know, um, where were you when you heard the news, when you got the news that Kaohsiung was selected? Oh, I was in a hotel room with one of my good friends. And seriously, like she recorded the announcement and she was like yelling and shouting. And I was like so calm. I literally have zero second of celebration because I do know these are just huge responsibility and four years of hard work ahead. Oh, but you should celebrate. I hope you've done something to celebrate. It's like a huge success. You know, it's a huge success for Taiwan and for you and your team. Well, I celebrate live every day. Okay, that's good. (laughs) So the last time we spoke, we talked about Taiwan Pride Parade for the World in 2020. And we talked about how there was a chance that your live stream could have been added onto the live stream for the global pride streaming event. And so I'm wondering if that was able to happen. It was possible and everybody was very supportive, but sadly we only thought about the idea like 24 hours ahead of global pride. So sadly we were not able to do that for technical reasons, but Taiwan was the only country that can host the physical pride parade in 2020. So I think everyone in the world realized that. And since that, our event of Taiwan Pride for the World in June has made international headlines. So that definitely generates some positive news from our community and some great exposure for Taiwan. Absolutely. And um, now you've been able to secure the bid for Taiwan to host World Pride 2025. I'm wondering, how did you decide to get involved with this? It really started as, because um, as you know, I was the first employee for five major gay companies in Taiwan, including Manhunt, Jacked, Hornet, Grinder, Atlantis Events, and now Scrub, who acquired Jacked. 
And so I've been sponsoring for the big and small pride parade around the region. And Kaohsiung Pride was the only pride organization from Taiwan that joined Interpride, the world's biggest pride organization that includes about 400 organizations in 97 countries. So Kaohsiung uh, Pride was hoping that I can step in and help them being their representative in Interpride. So I was very happy to step in. While this, I live in um, Taipei and literally knows no one from Kaohsiung Pride. And secondly, that uh, because our involvement, Region 19, which is mostly Asia in Interpride, really hope that I can be a regional, which is the Asian representative in Region 19. And I was lucky to uh, represent Asia for that role. And after that, we have very close contact with the key members and other co-presidents from the organizations. And they do know and um, how important Taiwan is for the human rights progress for the whole region. And they've been very supportive. And then we realized that uh, 2025 would be an amazing opportunity for Taiwan to give it a try. Even if we don't win it, it will be the first time ever for Asia community, um, for Asia organization to actually put in a bid. So just even for that reason, I was very happy to go ahead. And um, with so much love and support, we were able to, I think, communicate with everyone from Interpride, which makes them also know that we do not just do it for Taiwan, we're doing it for the whole Asia. And then we were able, I think, to get the unprecedented votes from Interpride and have the opportunity to host World Pride 2025. There hasn't been a previous bid from any Asian city or country? Certainly no. And as you know, like you definitely could not imagine any other country or cities would be able to host World Pride, right? Mm. Interesting. Wow, that's really surprising. Yeah, out of eight years, including 2021 Copenhagen of World Pride, there has been none. Asian um, community has that has got involved or even put in a bid, yeah. Oh, wow. What was the procedure like, the application procedure? What kind of things did you have to provide or prepare? Oh, one very interesting um, fact is that with all the 13 qualifications, like Kaohsiung Pride does not meet like the first one, which is being a member of more than four years of Interpride. Kaohsiung Pride actually only for two years. And oh. also that um, on the under qualification number three, that it says that the organization needs to attend the global annual meetings three years out of the previous four years. And Kaohsiung um, Pride does not meet that. However, because of the love and support, we actually put in two requests for waivers and, and we have uh, got um, a more than 50% of votes, which really means that the whole process, we were we were just carrying the good wishes and the hope from everyone. And so not, not only that, we have to put through two waivers for, for all the Interpride members to vote, but during the process, uh, just the Taiwan naming issues and how that we actually would be able to secure a supporting letter from our past president, 
literally with zero um, funding support and um, and then put in a paper application that meets all the requirements and then a presentation, video presentation and Q&A. It really is a 11 month process. Wow, so you mentioned the, the naming of Taiwan. So was there an issue? Because as we know, unfortunately, there has been other issues when Taiwan participates in these global events, like the big one that comes to mind is the Olympics, right? I do have to say Taiwan's situation in the global community is almost like LGBT communities situation in the major community. So in a way that everybody can see how our struggle and our success as Taiwan can inspire the whole community as well. And as you know, um, the biggest issues of the, this whole process is actually when Taiwan wins the bid. And we know that we need to address because we bid as, as a name of World Pride Taiwan 2025. Mm -hmm. And, but, um, Interpride is actually having the application for the United Nations ECOSOC um, status, which is a two-year process. And a couple of months ago, they actually, you know, need to clarify what Taiwan is. And so in our, um, in their winning statement, we actually try to find a term, which is region of Taiwan that that was privileged used not very very recently but I think about three years ago by Taiwanese government and all that but our contact was Taiwan is a region in the world so which means that Taiwan is an island that includes uh, Jingmen, Mazu and Penghu so we we were hoping that this wouldn't uh, this would come across as how Interpride is supporting Taiwan I mean, the fact that we were able to put in a bid and winning a bid knows how much Interpride was supporting us. However, because of the Chinese translation, a lot of the media in Taiwan actually put it in word by word, Taiwan region, which is a very sensitive word because people think of Taiwan region as Taiwan is a region of the big China. So that is where the bad, um, bad press really came out. And we didn't know that it caught, it caught us so badly and with our government and our Ministry of Foreign Affairs got involved and Kaohsiung Mayor and uh, them both have statements and Interpride uh, did make a very moving statement which made Interpride's application for the UNXOC status be jeopardized. So we are also trying very hard to see what we and what Taiwan can help uh, with their application. I imagine then um a lot of people in Taiwan were upset by the usage of the Taiwan region label, right? Because, yes, there's a lot because of Because usually it is used from China as Taiwan is a region within China. But yeah. what we're really trying to say is that Taiwan is a region to the world in a global community, yeah, right, which includes right. not just Taiwan. Interesting. What was the most challenging thing about this whole process? Were there any people or groups in Taiwan that were opposed to this? Um, I would like to share this with everyone, but not in a way to attack everyone. Because as everybody knows, the biggest organization in Taiwan is Taipei slash Taiwan Pride, um, which I, I was involved from the very first year. Mm -hmm. And in a way that people were 
were asking, why isn't Taipei Pride representing Taiwan? The fact is they never joined Enterprise and they would never have the international engagement. So when I have this opportunity, I actually thought about the whole scope and thought about how we can market Taiwan to the world. So our format is we started in Taipei of the first weekend with the fun events. And then during the weekdays, we have the exhibitions, the human rights forums, and the more academic kind of events, while other tourists can tour around the whole country during these five days and ended in the second weekend of Kaohsiung. That is why we were able to put in a bid as World Pride Taiwan. And uh, from back to what you're saying, is we actually got the most challenges from the LGBT organizations within Taiwan, mostly because people were surprised that we would have the opportunity. People were surprised that it was Kaohsiung Pride that represents Taiwan. Our goal, our really final goal, is to let this event be great and let 60% of the population in the world, which is in Asia, to be able to hear about what a pride is, what LGBTQIA pride is, and be able to attend the pride event. So in that dream, we, we just move forward and try to build a platform for everyone. And really our goal, because it's such a huge event, so we, we really want to involve everyone. But, but it was said that during the process or even up to the wind, people thought we had the help from everyone and people assumed that we're in liaison alien uh, alliance with everyone. But it was really our very, very small team of effort that made this possible. Yeah, I was very curious how it ended up being Kaohsiung because also in our previous interview, you pointed out that Taiwan's pretty unique in the fact that there are a lot of little prides all around the island in uh, all different counties and different cities. About 15. Um, so it, yeah, so I mean, it could have been Taipei, it could have been Taizong, could have been Kaohsiung, and I was curious about that. Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. There are probably a lot of people involved in the LGBTQIA community in Taiwan, and a lot of people who have been doing this work for decades, so I'm sure there's a lot of personalities, a lot of interests involved. Yeah, and one of the core reasons really is that as any minority group needs to bring a agenda to to like a bigger audience, we usually have to make our agenda more more mainstreamed. And that this sometimes means that it leaves some of uh the even more minority behind or their message is not included in that campaign. So it will make people feel like it's always um it's always whatever washed is whitewashed or, you know, um, um, uh, mainstream washed. So, so that could feel like progress has always been two steps forward, one step back. But as we, as long as we know our goal, I think uh, everybody should move forward. And we did. And we we're very grateful. And the schedule of events, that's that's the proposed schedule for the World Pride in 2025, meaning, so it includes Taipei and Kaohsiung and other parts of Taiwan. Yes. Right. We, we want to, yeah, we definitely want to incorporate, like, for example, like some pride organization who has hosted the first uh, state-backed LGBT artist exhibition. And we 
we actually have in our application saying that the Taipei Pride event, because it's so unique, is the only pride in this scale that is still essentially a protest. So we are we we we're we're hoping that it will be the original organization that runs it, but we will support it with our World Pride event around it, just like hopefully the seventh years of trans um, Taiwan Trans Pride, which would be hosted by Taiwan Gay Hotline as their original host. Yeah, and I th- I would imagine that this is a really good opportunity to showcase Taiwan's LGBTQIA history, and to highlight that. I'm sure you've considered that during the World Pride 2025. I'm curious to know what were the cities that you're up against? Who were the main contenders? When we started bidding, uh, it was Rome and Los Angeles. But I think this is me guessing. I didn't ask because I don't want to be rude. But I think these are two cities that was affected by COVID the most, especially during the yes. um, first half years. So they might have to drop out uh, for other reasons. And then DC, Washington DC, was bravely to step in. And I think because they have the resource and an amazing team. So it was us against Washington DC, which is, you know, which I said that we would be a DC win no matter what because Darian Chairman initials are DC. So yay! I mean, <laughs> there you go. That was very interesting because I read that June 2025 will be the 50th anniversary of Pride in Washington DC. So I'm sure that you know that's a very important day for them, and they were hoping that they could host for that very important anniversary. And they will. Yeah, yeah, but everybody and, yeah, was they will. giving us the torch because they know it was really not just for Taiwan. It's to bring the beacon of hope to Asia, mm-hmm. and there's no way that nowhere that is more poignant and more powerful to host it in Taiwan. Imagine anywhere else. You can't really just just stand up for Tibetan rights, Uyghur rights, Hong Kong rights, or Muslim rights. And we made it a very valid point that it's really only when it's hosted in Taiwan that we can yell and say like, please, all the Chinese suffering people come to Taiwan for pride. And please, all the biggest Muslim community in the world in Indonesia come to Taiwan. Because Taiwan is also uniquely was voted by, you know, um, most of the Muslim women as the safest place they will walk on the street on, which makes us really, really grateful that we are living in such community is so accepting and loving that we can stage World Pride and inviting people that has never been to a Pride event. Because we all know how validating it is to walk on a Pride parade for the first time. Because we all grow up feel like we're the only gay in the world. We're the freak. And by seeing there's other people like me, it's almost like reborn. So what has the general response been like since the announcement? Because of the naming issue, we actually did not promote this as wide as we hoped for. And also because the next World Pride is actually Sydney 2023. So we felt like we had the chance to um, make it a headline the first couple of days. But sadly, because some bad translation of Taiwanese media that really had to draw uh, the attention there, but our second opportunity are definitely up to Sydney Pride, Sydney World Pride, and then we hope that everybody can 
especially everybody in Taiwan can see this is such a rare opportunity. We can um, tell the world about Taiwan and proudly say the Taiwan name uh, to the world and invite everybody to Taiwan and experience this firsthand. I'm also curious, like I know that you mentioned in our previous interview that you prefer to be a little bit more low key and behind the scenes and all that. Um, and that it's difficult when you have to be in a little bit in the public eye. And, you know, you mentioned that it can be toxic to be really out there. And so I'm wondering, uh, how are you handling this now? Well, I'm really, really honored to have this opportunity representing Taiwan. And I'm really flattered that we're able to do this. And in a way, just like how I represent was the first Mr. Gay Taiwan, I really didn't do it for myself. So I didn't think about myself. But, but in a way, if I, I've known from a very young age that fame is toxic. But I love to be involved. I love doing things. And I know like having a pro, low profile actually makes it easier for me to achieve things. So, so with Mr. Gay Taiwan, and involvement with Mr. Gay World and now with World Pride. Um, I don't really, uh, because now I, I know that this opportunity is for, is for everyone. And I was just fortunate to be in this role. So I really wasn't thinking about me as much, but, but if I, and I'm embracing this opportunity, but whenever I have a choice, I would just love to be the one that was staging this for everybody who is involved which I think is, um, is what Pride is about, is having the opportunity for everybody to show themselves. And what does it mean to you personally that Kaohsiung and Taiwan is going to be hosting World Pride 2025? Really is that it would be amazing opportunity to advance human rights in the region. Because I'm sure everybody agrees that LGBTQIA plus uh, equality is only a part, but a poignant and major part of human rights. And human rights and liberty and diversity is lacking in our region. And we are so grateful that Taiwan can enjoy such great progress, but it is also Taiwan's responsibility to really give it back and shine the beacon of light back to our region. And now for a short break. Talking Taiwan is the longest-running Taiwan-related podcast, and we are dedicated to bringing you stories connected to Taiwan and Taiwan's global community. Help us to grow and continue producing engaging content by making a contribution on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Talking Taiwan. I can't imagine like how stressful like and like how much work it was and like all the waiting like how long did the process take like a year or something? Or? Yes, yes, a year. It was definitely a miracle because um, Sydney, twenty twenty three, got like two hundred thousand Australian dollars from the government just for the bidding wow. process, and we actually did not ask anybody for a cent. Oh, yeah, that's why I was going to ask you is if you had to have the cooperation or if you had the cooperation with the Kaohsiung city government or anybody. Yeah. Of course, um, now we just won the pride, uh, just won the bid. We are figuring out what is the best way to move forward. And our goal for um, 2022 and 2023 is definitely working with Taiwan government, Taipei city government and Kaohsiung government to see how we can work with um, those institutions 
And then 2024 would we'll be working with top tier companies uh, with seeking commercial support. In the last year, seeking organization support from our LGBT organization and other gender-friendly organization. I have one thing that I would like to share is that I don't know. Uh, I'm speaking from the Taiwan perspective, though. Um, it was our pride organization got asked this question a lot. Is that gay marriage has passed. Why are we fighting for? And yes, they're all right addressing issues, but there are really three core reasons that pride needs to be there every year and forever. One of the reasons that I sort of mentioned is there are always new generation coming up every year. And most of them, I mean, maybe not for Taiwan, but most of them grow up feeling like so alone, feeling the only one. And pride events are the opportunity they can see themselves, they can step up and see that they're not alone. That reason alone tells you that pride needs to be every city every year. And secondly, is that our community is marginalized. Isn't that too much to ask for one day out of 365 days that we're center stage, that we are here? I'm sure with 77% of the population, we deserve one day to be center stage, one day to be heard. And then lastly, this opportunity provides probably the only place where LGBT organizations can really voice what they care about that year, what's our need and what needs to be done. So these three reasons are the crucial reason that pride needs to be everywhere, every year, if not just once. Yeah, I'm surprised that people ask that. I mean, here in New York, like we're very accustomed to that. Like we have had the Puerto Rican Day Parade for like who knows how long, right? And like all these different parades. Uh, so it's not even a question. But yeah, I mean, I don't even think it should be one day. Every day is a day to talk about these issues. That's why sure. there are so many LGBT friendly venues that we wear pride flags everywhere. So yeah, thank you for yeah. you, you, your voice. And yeah, it does sound a little bit snobbish. Like, yeah, in New York. Of course, come on. <laughs> Like, oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but you deserve to be a little bit snobbish. <laughs> so have you been to any other um, World Pride celebrations in other cities around the world? Have you participated in any? You know, I'm actually not, because I was in maybe four or five New York Pride. I feel like I could be in 2019 New, New York World Pride, but I'm actually not sure because New York Pride scale are always huge. And... Uh, and I, I think I was in Spain when Madrid World Pride was happening. But the fact that 7 million people were in that fucking city, no, I mean, tells me that I need to get away from it. I seriously, I mean, I'm already a gay magnet, so I don't need that 7 million people. Well, yeah. But of course, yeah. I, I'm very aware and, uh, and, and see those information and all that. But so, everybody be aware. Book your everything if you want to come to Taiwan World Pride. Like, yeah, you don't yes, want to start with another hotel, couple million people. everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And call me if you have any problems, okay? <laughs> Are you sure you want to say that? <laughs> Where you going to number? Come you. on. <laughs> okay, I just oh. lied. While Darian and I were waiting for Amazon to join us, he offered to entertain me. I can sing a song if you don't mind. 
Sure. What do you want to sing? Give me an artist. <laughs> I love singing jazz. Do you have a favorite jazz standard? Oh, I don't know. I love jazz music, but I'm I don't know if my I can favorite. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, my favorite uh, of the uh, classic would be Sarah yeah. Vaughan, but, but yeah, I yeah. but my recent one would be Cassandra Wilson. Yeah, what? go for Come it. Come on, no, what, what you? I, what I can't sing. You pick. I mean, you pick the song. Then I'm very happy to serenade you. No, no, no. sing something from. Serenading uh, you, my prelude to a kiss. <laughs> I love it. Back at you. <laughs> It looks like Amazon has joined us. Hi, Amazon. Can you hear us? Hi, Amazon. Hi. Hi. Yes, I can. Oh, wonderful. We are May I, I have now. one question. May I know how to pronounce your name? Amazing, amazing, amazing. I mean, how do we do that? <laughs> it just have so much all, all, all of the above. All of, <laughs> um, um, Am Amazon Letty. Oh, Amazon. <laughs> See, I mean, I didn't get it right. So, such cool name. Like, I just can't wait to tell everybody this. I know I'm not saying, like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so wonderful that we're able to be on the call yes, together. I'm so glad that we finally got everything all coordinated. I'm not a morning person. I apologize. That's the reason why I, I don't usually do interviews in the morning. But, you know, for you guys, this is so special, of course. Um, yeah, so we were just talking about um, if, uh, like, if Darian's been to any other World Prides um, in other cities around the world, um, and like, I'm wondering, like, if either of you have been to other World Prides, like, how how would you say that they compare, or like, how are they, how are they, anything particularly memorable that stand out for you? So I have been to a few in different parts of the world and I was part of the World Pride in New York at the Human Rights uh, Conference there. And then I was at the World Pride in L London, obviously Copenhagen. Honey, um, you, don't live, well. you don't look like one year more than 25. How do you go to all these one? Like from like... What junior high? That's her job. <laughs> That's her job. She's a global citizen <laughs> yeah. from, from 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 junior high. You were that straight, straight out of the junior high. Oh my god! Okay, education really. <laughs> hey, works. hey! Did you did you do your research, Darian? Did you do your research? You know that she was like a bodybuilder since she was like six or seven. Come on. First day. I mean, come on. She's a woman. I don't do that to women. Hot guys, maybe. <laughs> so, um. If I, uh, uh, I'm like, um, what about like Copenhagen? Because that was um, during COVID and it was, so a lot of the events were virtual. What kind of events did they do? Like, how is that different than the usual World Pride? I mean, I actually ended up not being able to go to Copenhagen. So I did it virtually as well. But, you know, I think with the caveat of doing it virtually, and I think about, you know, World Pride going to Taiwan with those that are still struggle we, we also have to think of you know those that aren't yet out yet who are still struggling with their sexuality and gender identity and being able to log in online anonymously and still feeling part of the community is golden so it's being able to have you know 
different kinds of reaches, you know, in-person reach, virtual reach. Obviously, virtually you can record it and then place it on your platform so people can continue to watch it. I mean, it also means that those who can't make it in person to the country can become part of the World Pride celebration. And I think, you know, the caveat of World Pride and how special it is coming to you know, Asia for the first time is that it continually shines a spotlight on the Asian community and our celebration and our movements as, as well within the global LGBTQ movement, because I think so often Asian LGBTQ people are just so invisible within the community and we're necessarily not given the platforms unlike other communities. So, you know, this really becomes our moment in the community for, you know, everyone to celebrate a world pride in Asia for the first time. And I think it's just so exciting and what this means for Taiwanese, what this means for the country, but what this means for the continent of Asia. Yeah, yeah which is yeah, 60% of population in the world. I was just telling Felicia that really mm. our first biggest goal is to host World Pride 2021 for 2025 so that the most people who have never been to Pride, who have never heard of Pride, would be able to understand and have the able, ability to participate in the Pride events. And one thing I would like to add is because of the pandemic, um, a lot of the events have turned virtual. And I was just sharing with everyone that our mindset could, could, could be, it's not thinking about what you cannot do if you can't be physical. It's thinking about what can you do with virtual reach? What can you achieve that the physical pride cannot? And I think that really shines a lot of perspective for this tough time. And hmm. for me to address Copenhagen 2021, is that, yeah, with the restriction, it was very sad that even some of the main organizations and the co-presidents of World Pride cannot go. However, the team was amazing of still hosting everything and still deliver the message, which really shows that the tenacity of our community, and that is very inspiring. It is, and I think, you know, being able to host a pride virtually as well as in person, it engages the whole world in world pride as 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 well. Yeah. And and you know, zero STI, so I guess it's the health organization will be happy. <laughs> there you go. Always a silver lining, right? <laughs> so, Not for me. <laughs> oh, so quick! <laughs> um, no, no, what do you guys never call a guy quick? I'm Ozzy. I mean, I'm not. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, careful. <laughs> I mean, the girls. I mean, it's a, it's a fashion. The girls are quick, but. just let you take over Jerry and what else do you want to say as Felicia knows I've been talking with her for 45 minutes so how about uh, Amazing would you want to know anything about plans for Warpride Taiwan or do you have questions for me and Felicia you know I would be excited I mean it's such an exciting time I think for the Asian 
community. And I think, you know, 2025 seems so far away, but it's it's not when you're looking at, you know, planning, you know, the, the biggest LGBTQ event <laughs> in the world. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm, I'd love to hear, you know, the initial plans that you have and the, vi- the vision that you have for, you know, World Pride in Taiwan. So there are about nine categories. Firstly are definitely the Pride events, which we will have Taipei Pride, which is the only Pride in this scale that is still essentially a protest. And then we will have the War Pride Parade, which is about flow, which is about the War Pride style and atmosphere. Hopefully the seventh year of the trans party. And also that, sorry, so many things. And we will have, of course, the fundamental and the flagship of the whole World Pride is about Human Rights Conference. And in Taiwan, we want to have a enterprise banquet fundraiser that is Taiwanese wedding style, which is to fundraise for enterprise. And we want to have a red carpet that showcase everybody's national uh, costume in Kaohsiung, that is like a gala for everybody to have fun. And as you know, Taiwan is on the forefront of LGBT business involvement. So we plan to have some business summits that invite the key business leader around the world and also continuing have LGBT arts, artists exhibition. Also that we have planned a pride concert in both Taipei and Kaohsiung, which is aimed to use the star power to attract more allies, which is crucial in bringing the LGBT and human rights issue mainstream, and also having fair days that includes families and includes everyone from the community. Lastly, party. And we definitely know that women are sometimes marginalized, especially in the party scene. So there are a couple parties that is specially designed for her. And also like there's a beautiful beach right in the center of Kaohsiung City, right? So we want to host like the sunset beach party. And also because there's ferry traveling from the city to that island. So we want to pay tribute to this 25 years of uh, amazing event called Invasion in Fire Island. Yeah. And um, pay tribute to New York City Fire Island Invasion in that uh, ferry ride with all drag queens and everybody announces the entrance. Are you talking about Chichen Island? Um, Fire Island. So there's an um, event that has been there for 27 years with the host being the exact same one from the first year that started in the two uh, regions in Fire Island. One is called mm. Cherry Hill and one is okay. the Pines, where uh, a couple of drag queens was refused service in one of the cities. And then, you know, we, they called for help. So a bunch of drag queens just took the ferry from city A to city B and just one by one, just drag queen invading that, that, that whole region, and which continues to become a tradition and now a celebration in Fire Island. And we want to bring oh, the spirit to teaching. Yeah. Because you're not gay. Come on. <laughs> 
Everyone knows about Fire Island. I've been to Fire Island. Okay, I'm excused, right? I'm excused, right? Sorry. I mean, I've been there, but I don't know the story. So it's a battle. It's a battle. I mean, (laughs) it's not that fun. Just leave it with the gays. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, I'm curious. Like both of you actually have a connection to Australia because I know that uh, Darian, you you studied there, right? I, I went to Australia on exchange. So um, actually, I have like an impeccable resume before I graduated, right? I was like, I was hoping to get into management consulting. And I thought, oh, I deserve a gap year. So, so then I have scholarship. And, I, and the best two schools that we have, one is in uh, Amsterdam and one is in Sydney. I was like, think, think. But look, it's going to be a whole year. I want great weather, right? So I choose Sydney. <laughs> and Sydney totally changed me. Like those layback style and, you know, like those, those kind of thing. I'd be like, you know, I want to live. I want to enjoy life. More like I want to have career success. And, of course, the LGBT community also really inspired me. Let me see that how a uh, LGBT ecosystem can build up to be, uh, which... Uh, luckily that I stayed three more years because I had an uh, Australian boyfriend and then I had a uh, master's degree of technology management in New South Wales. So mm-hmm. I spent four years in Australia and it definitely feel like my second home. So I cannot wait to see everyone in Sydney in 2023 and I'll see both of you if I guarantee you some VIP pass. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, I, I, I spent my formative years in Sydney um so you know that's where I experienced the first gay scene where I went to my first lesbian bar where I experienced this amazing Mardi Gras and and learned about the LGBTQ movement through the Mardi Gras and it was probably you know the best Mardi Gras that I had ever been to and for the first time as well where I saw Asian people in a parade celebrating their heritage but also being lgbtq doing perfectly sequenced dance moves (laughs) 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 but i learned so much from that experience that you know as well as a protest but it's a celebration of our heritage and when i think of you know world pride going to taiwan as well as a protest it's just a celebration of you know, a part of our identity, which is a part of our heritage and, you know, what that means. I mean, for, in the West, we take, you know, gay prides, you know, for granted. We're like, well, you know, we've been doing it for so long. Why do we still need it? It's so commercial. But you don't realise. But in so many parts of the world, particularly in Asia, that's that one time that that Asian kid can celebrate and love and be themselves and see themselves and it may be that one day out of the whole year that will just change their life Funny, I feel like if you have a dick I would totally date you but although I know like (laughs) a dick is like an inflammated clitoris so I mean it's almost the same I'm sure that you you... well we all started out the same you know you know because like Yeah, it just turned out differently. It all started out the same when we were embryos, right? Because the clitoris uh, yeah, actually became a dick later. You know, <laughs> the fact that I know the embryo like form like turns me off sex for like a whole month. 
I mean, just thinking about the cross Gordon being a like reaching out labia, it was just like, holy. I'm so up for you being my gay boyfriend in Taiwan. That's <laughs> oh, how many boyfriends she has. I mean, I don't want to be one out of 20, so I'll consider. So back to. <laughs> <clears throat> Back to gay movement and pride. Yes. I also have one thing that I would like to share. Why I feel so passionately for LGBT movement is it's really a process of embracing diversity, of including what the minority step by step. And doesn't all of us have some unique point of our, because all of us are different and we have parts or our character of ourselves, but it's not the mainstream of our community where we lived in. So being able to take pride everywhere means that people feel that their differentness, their quirkiness, or their, their personality, all of them can be seen and be accepted and be embraced. And that value is such core to human rights. And that, is, that we did it so well by sequencing dance in sequence dress. And <laughs> yeah, so that's why... I really feel so strongly about what we're doing and it would be a movement for the entirety of humanity. And um, since both of you have like uh, experiences both in Asia and like more like the, what you would say like a Western culture, like what do you think is the challenges for an Asian person like overseas versus an Asian person in Asia? Like what do you think is the similarities or differences of the challenges? Ladies face? first. Queen second. <laughs> so polite. <laughs> no, that means that you need to call me queen, so not polite. <laughs> I'm just very Oh, and then, and then what is Amazon, Amazon like uh, the king then? <laughs> I mean, oh, oh, no, you already said you're the host. You're like nobody to us, so lady first. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, for me, what I've seen in the West, there's, you know, we're part of this invisible model minority race. And so we're already very marginalized at, at that. And then, you know, un, under that, then you have the Asian LGBTQ community. And we've always been so invisible. I mean, there's this discussion already in Hollywood of, you know, lack of Asian representation and then how Asian men and how Asian women are represented in the, me the media as well. And then how, then if you're LGBTQ, how that feeds into that stereotype. And we've always been so invisible within the LGBTQ community. I mean, I think of myself growing up in Australia and never seeing an Asian person represented in media or television, never seeing an LGBTQ person, but an Asian LGBTQ person was like a unicorn. And even when you think of the last few years of TV and media, you know, we're only now seeing some Asian LGBT representation come through into Hollywood and obviously through into Netflix. And I think the challenges of that, you know, Asian LGBTQ kid faces where they just don't see themselves and all they see is this reflection of white LGBTQ people continuously. So they think there maybe is something wrong with myself because I just never see that kind of re 
reflection as well. And we continually also have to fight for our voice to be heard and our stories to be seen within the, the community as well. And when I look at, you know, the clubbing community, there is this definite fetishism that goes on about being, you know, Asian and LGBTQ as as well when I've you know been to different parts of the world where I see these clubs for you know for young Asian men and older white men and how that feeds into the it, it's kind of interesting because it feeds into the same stereotype of how Asian women are seen in the straight co community. Yeah, I, I also see that, and also a big part that could not be too politically correct is that how uh, the new generation of the super rich Chinese was really representing the main image so right now. And with uh, the, the pandemic, that how this really puts a shadow and the racist, Asian racist attack around the world. And, um, oh, for this, and I also would like to share one thing, is that the uh, mainstream Western community and Eastern community are very different in how we see and how our bonds is with our family. And with our family, and, and also, of course, and how we define individuality. In the Western, which has crucial, make crucial impact and differences in coming out the issue. Yeah, like in a, in a Western culture, coming out is knowing who you are, and let and the world shall know who you are because I'm proud of who I am. But in a way that the Asian community and family are so tied to the to the family identity that that in a way um, and of course with decades that we do um, counseling with especially LGBT kids still in school who are not financially dependent that we we really try to. Um, let, let, them, let them know that coming out is your choice and you should come out in, there's no best timing, but you should come out in your own pace and pick a good opportunity and pace to come out. Because the mainstream culture has made coming out feel like an epiphany moment, which is not. Your self-understanding is your epiphany for sure. But how you want to take this identity to the community, to your friends, to your family should be carefully considered with your situation and with your pace. Right. That's an interesting distinction. So meaning that the time that someone, when they realize what their identity is, I don't know, I can't speak for this, but you yeah, know, different you people know. may have this realization at different times and that's a very personal thing. But then in the terms of when you make that public and you want to come out to your friends or your family, that's something that you can control and that you should be able to pick an ideal situation for you and the timing for that. That's what you're referring to, right? Yes. Darian? And I've seen many instances where not coming out doesn't mean that you're not true to yourself or you're not truthful to your family. Not coming out could mean that all the society pressure is what you're taking as a LGBT person. So you actually know what to deal with it. But coming out could be all this auntie, uncle's pressure would now suddenly fall on your parents, which has zero idea or zero knowledge of what being LGBT is. 
because this situation wouldn't happen in Western situation, right? Like your auntie would ask your mom, like your personal situation. But this, you know, happens like once a day in the Chinese family. I've always kind of said that coming out is very much of a Western ideology because of the disconnect between mm. the individual and the family unit whereas in the asian community it's all about coming home and what we do for the family and i always feel like you know this the narrative that we need to share and change is about inviting you into my story rather mm. than this pressure of me having to come out to the world when i'm not necessarily ready and it's not the right time and because of my cultural and identity it's not right for me and i love that idea of inviting a person into my story because then it's my choice that I've invited you into my story and it could just be a one-on-one -on -one moment of that invitation rather than a kind of a big funfair of coming up coming out and I think you know that is that difference and when I have conversations in the west about that is that you know that understanding the nuances and differences within the Asian community and understanding that the language is very different and, and obviously how the lens that we're looking through is through the east and it's very different from looking through a western lgbtq lens well, yeah this and, is very interesting yeah and take it for example like since i'm single okay everybody know i'm single so if i'm single <laughs> and coming out to my parents they'll be like so they'll be like worried like ah, so you don't have nobody to love you like what's wrong with my son right yeah and which is very different in a western context for sure they'll be like oh yeah you're you know now playing the field and yeah you're like the words are oyster but but if i come out single uh a single like all my parents be like oh my son's gonna die alone so that would be very different in western and eastern cultures oh but what i was sharing with you coming out are definitely a lot from the personal stories and how we've yeah. consulted uh, sure. in gay hotline yeah. yeah yeah no and I, I never really also thought about this um terminology about the whole coming out terminology too um you know because i like what amazon uh proposes like you know the inviting somebody into your story um if you wish to invite them in there and that's up to you. Amazing. I just like, I'm so curious, like you have so many things on your plate um, and we're going to talk about that in a separate interview. Like, how is it that you manage to do everything that you do with your foundation? You know, I think for, for me, it's just this simple drive of how I was made to feel when I was a kid and not seeing a reflection of myself and knowing that Asian LGBTQ kids are still going through those very difficult moments in discovering who they are and not seeing a reflection of their story. And I think I've been given this amazing global platform to be able to share my story. And if it helps just one Asian kid wake up the next day feeling so much better with their own sexuality and identity and knowing that feeling that they're part of the community and then that feeling that they're not like the only one because i had had felt that for so long as a kid that i absolutely believed that i was the only asian lgbtq kid in the world and that feeling of deep sadness and loneliness that came with that feeling and i think i don't want any other asian lgbt kid to go through that and they shouldn't have have to and with the way that we can connect now virtually you know 
they sh they shouldn't have to they can be able to have their stories and i think you know how important pride world pride is going to be in taiwan for that asian lgbtq person to have that moment and one tiny sporting fact is um i'm i'm sure you agree that taiwan and most of muslim community agree that taiwan is such a safe and embracing community so we also know that having World Pride in Taiwan probably will attract the most Muslim community ever. And because this, I couldn't think of a place where a Muslim woman wearing a bur burqa walking in the street alone can feel as safe as in Taiwan. I know, and that's important that everyone feels welcome at World, World Pride. It's so exciting. I wish it was 2025 now. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> As you can tell, we had a lot of fun during this interview, and Darian just couldn't resist singing for Amazon. Amazon, you want to? Do you have a request? Request, uh, yeah. Darian, Darian's I think it's jazzy because Felicia likes jazz. Sing a jazz song. <laughs> it's pop, right? Already, jazzy. right? Mm -hmm. Can you can you do like jazzy Kylie Minogue pop? Oh. Oh. And I just can't get you out of my. You are me in my mind. I just can't get you out of my head. I want to have you every night. Even I twist around with the word, so yeah. <laughs> and on our first date, that's how we fell in love. Oh. <laughs> well, I think it's like doing my big guns. I mean. <laughs> well, it's so nice to be you. I'm so glad you guys like like my every joke. I mean, you know, sometimes yeah. I could, yeah. No, it's wonderful. I'll let you guys have a last word. If there's anything you want to say about World Pride in Taiwan or uh, World Pride in general, anything you want to add? I'll let the Queen go first. Yes. <laughs> um, what I would like to say is we definitely hope to work with everyone who wants to be involved. So if your organization and if you want to be involved, like please reach out to us because we are definitely just building a platform for everybody to shine. That's so exciting. I absolutely want to be involved, involved with me. With the okay. <laughs> yes, y y y you and World Pride. <laughs> <laughs> Cupid boy, when we touch, I'm in heaven, your heart. That's my favorite track from Alfred And on our second date. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have Kylie at World Pride in Taiwan. Oh, there um, we go. Let's see if we can um, have that happen. As the international act. I, because I feel like Kylie will be mainly featured in Sydney Pride, so I don't sort of want to... Yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. in Sydney, yeah. right? You know what? She's going to be in Sydney? A, yeah. a sneak peek for everyone? Yeah. We're, we're actually, for guys, we're aiming for, we're aiming for, you know, aim for the uh, moon, right? We're aiming for Ricky Martin. We think he has the most, like, worldwide oh. appeal. And for yes, girls, yeah, we actually, we, we definitely want Katy Perry. Because, again, oh. mainstream appeal... And oh, yes, she, how she stood up, how she stood up for Taiwan during the um, oh yes, that's during the right. concert oh, yes. with, 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 oh, oh, oh wow, yeah, 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 yeah. And and we know that when 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 the headliners are set, everybody who follows. So yeah, yeah. we're just trying our best for, for that. 
And we know like, you know, Sydney's um, share is going to, you know, live to like 200. So she's share's definitely going to be there. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, well, well, we'll probably have you back on, Darren, because we want to know what the progress is and all that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's later, probably please. getting late for you, right? Yeah. Oh, it's fine. I'll do em- yeah. everything for Amazi in front of Felicia. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not everything. I mean, oh, yeah. I want to thank you so much, Darian and Amazin, for being here. Thank you for being on Talking Taiwan. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. It's so exciting. Thank you. One of the things that we didn't get a chance to talk about during our interview was the rainbow logo that was created for Taiwan World Pride. I personally love how it looks like a squiggly line in the shape of the island of Taiwan. When I asked Darian about it, he told me that it was created by a Taiwanese Kaohsiung-based graphic designer, Bauer Hung. He also joked that some people have said that it looks like a turd or a soft-serve ice cream. Well, I suppose it's all in the eye of the beholder. Whatever the case may be, I'd like to congratulate the team that worked so hard to secure the bid for Taiwan to host World Pride 2025. I know they have a lot of hard work ahead of them, and we'll definitely check in on them to see what their progress is in the future. I've been speaking with Darian Chen, the spokesperson of the Kaohsiung Pride team that will be organizing World Pride 2025 in Taiwan, and Amazon Lete a global LGBTQ advocate. We'll have her back on another episode to share her personal story and talk about her LGBTQ advocacy work. If you enjoy this episode, go on over to Audible or Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. Tell a friend about us or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.